Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is a show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. On today's show, we're talking to Ian Tufts. He's the CTO of GL Education. But before that, hiya, Jack. Good morning, David. Did you enjoy yourself on Thursday night? Thursday night was wonderful. I mean, I don't want to blow our own trumpet, Dave, but we assembled what I think is one of the best panels and interviews I've ever seen at an event. And we've been to loads. So you are blowing our trumpet. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) It was lovely as well to see um, Tessa Clark from Olio win uh, yep. the Tech Personality of the Year. I, I know that we've been kind of trying to trumpet it with with good reason, being our inaugural award. But to have over 500 votes from listeners, to have the the shortlisted nominees, all six of whom are amazing there, mm. and mm. and being able to give that award to Tessa was great. It was really fantastic. It felt like a proper community moment. It really did. Um, there's a really cheesy photo of us that people can go see. And you can just see by the expression on all three of our faces how very proud of ourselves we are. <laughs> it, was, um, it, was, it was a special night. It really was. So, how was your weekend? It was nice. It was, um, it was Rosie's birthday. So we had a uh, oh, boozy nice. brunch on Saturday um, that went into the early hours of the morning. It was about a 12-hour drinking session. You can probably hear it in my voice still today. Um, but yeah, it was a nice weekend. What about you, Dave? Uh, very nice. I I uh, I had a, a lovely uh, northeastern day. Uh, I mean, this oh. is going to provide a very easy link into uh, into. The- <laughs> but I was I was at Fulham with several thousand other deliriously happy Geordies. Oh, you smashed them as well, didn't you? Three nil, Perez four and nil. Rondon's four nil. Oh goodness, four wow. Wow, what, what a, was hilarious though was that that um, the Geordies had commandeered six boats to travel up the Thames from Tower Hill <laughs> all the way up to Putney. And one of my mates was a bit further back in the stand. He said this guy was so out of it that when we scored, he just kind of stood there, didn't move, nothing. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Just uh, I, a friend of mine who is uh, who lives close to Fulham was at the game yesterday, and he sent me a photo. Uh, he was in the pub afterwards, and he took a photo. He's like, look who I'm with. And it must be a famous Newcastle fan because the man is huge, and he just has NUFC tattooed over his belly. Oh, yeah. Um, and my, my friend got quite excited that he met this sort of famous fan. <laughs> He's often picked out or by the TV cameras. There's yeah, one of those yeah. nutters who, in the middle of December, has got their top off at St. James's. Yeah. Exactly. Which, despite being a native of the Northeast, despite my primary school being less than half a mile from St. James's Park, I think is mental. <laughs> yes, yes. This is, uh, I think maybe, um, I don't think this is a North South thing. I think this is a strictly dedicated Newcastle kind of fan base thing, well, right? <laughs> no, I, I think when I was growing up, I had slightly different attitudes. I just think. I've I've spent nearly half my life now in the southeast, and I've yep. reacclimatized basically. Yeah, you've been um, you've you've had that northern nuttiness driven out of you. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, look, I mean, it's an easy segue right into the interview because we are Perfect. to to Ian. Ian is a native of the northeast. Uh, he's actually from Shields. If you if you if you know the area, you'll know where that is. Uh, but I travelled up to Sunderland. Boo hiss. Uh, <laughs> well, Durham. In yeah. Durham, Sunderland. I got off the train in Durham uh, to go and interview him. Um, but GL 
Education are a, are a global organization. GLA Assessment are the UK part of that organization. I'll hand over to Ian, but this is a, a dive into the world of EdTech. Uh, so today we're talking to Ian Toft. You're the CTO, is that correct? That's right, yes. Of GL Assessment. GL Education is a group. GL Assessment, which is our UK operating company within the overall group. I see. And... I should double check actually because we've had some CTOs that aren't chief technology officers on uh, officers rather on recently. I'm assuming the T stands for technology. It does, that's right. Cool. So you're based up here just outside of Durham. I am, yes. Yes, we're we're in the borough of Sunderland here in sunny Hortonless Spring. I have to admit, it was quite funny coming up on the on the train this morning for uh, a meeting in the northeast. Uh, podcast people who listen to this podcast will know I'm from the northeast, so it's quite nice to come back home. It is. It is. <laughs> it's the best region within the UK. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get onto that. Um, so look, just just very quickly then, um, what do GL assessment in the UK do, but then a group more globally? What 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 does the business actually do? So GL education is. I think the global leader of what's called formative assessments within the education sector. And we provide a whole variety of different products to help with children in education, primarily geared towards primary and secondary schools. One of our core products is something called the cognitive assessment test, Mm -hmm. which is used um, to help understand how an individual pupil is likely to perform in education and what sort of intervention measures can be taken to help them get the best out of their education. So the assessment test comprises things like verbal reasoning, non-verbal reasoning, spatial awareness, that sort of thing. And over years worth of refined statistical modelling and um, psycho analysis of those individual tests is we can then assess we can then determine from those individual assessments mm. how likely an individual pupil is to do in their ongoing assessment so if they sit it during year seven for example we can then indicate what their likely gcse results are going to be in any subject even though the assessment test itself doesn't specialise in those tests. Yes. And we, we can often indicate with, with an accuracy of 90%, let's say, what the likely grade of that individual pupil is going to be when they come towards sitting their GCSEs if they carry on with their current attitude to learning. But also, we can then advise schools and teachers on different ways that they could intervene with that individual's pattern of learning to help them attain even better results when they get towards their final GCSE or A level. I think I think the interesting thing listening to you there, I've always my mum was my mum was a teacher and, and I always kinda of had this feeling that assessments were there to measure the school. Almost they were part of the education process, but they weren't necessarily working with the schools. They were there to come in externally and manage and ad- ad- kind of administrate in some way. But the way that you're talking, it sounds much more like it's a partnership between the school and, and, the, and the exam board, for want of a better word, to help work with their kids. Yeah, exactly. So that the goal is to make sure that every individual pupil you know, attains the best 
results that they can, be the best that they can be. And what our organisation tries to do is to look at a, at a pupil as a, take a whole pupil view of their overall education. So not only do we deal with the assessment mm. of the individual, but we also deal with tracking how they're progressing in their education in relation to what their individual expectations would mm. be. We also provide um, assessment tests to look at an individual pupil's attitude to learning. So if an individual pupil isn't performing as per expectation, which an individual teacher may often know, we can help to pinpoint why that may be and give the school some indications to help them with different intervention mechanisms to help that individual pupil get the best out of their education that they can be. So it's not just the assessment results that we provide to teachers and schools, mm -hmm. it's also possible intervention measures to help that pupil be the best they can be. When, when we think about, I suppose, the approach to education, increasingly if you have a digital platform, you can surely do some more interesting things with data, right? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, the value of it all is in the data. It's in the information that we produce. An assessment for me is a means to an end. An assessment is something that enables us to get a standardised view of any individual pupil that goes through our assessment. The key value is then the data that we get from them sitting that assessment and then what we can do in relation to presenting that. It's all about the information that we provide back to the school. You know, how is this individual performing versus expectation? How is this class performing against expectation? How is this school performing against expectations? Or what the standardised norm of pupils that they have within their school. And the key to our assessments underpinning it all is the reliability of our standardization and you know, the, the, the clever statisticians and modelers that we have within the business and the years worth of ongoing validation we've had of the standardization of those assessments. But the key to it all is in the data. The data that we produce as a result of the assessment and how that then gets used and related back to the individual teachers and schools. Obviously, when you've got data, you, you can apply machine learning to data. And, and machine, the great thing about AI and machine learning is it can produce relationships between sets of data that normally you wouldn't have spotted. I suppose in this, in this particular circumstance, in, in traditional education, you might not have made a link between one thing going on over in one school somewhere else and something else happening somewhere else and you're going, well, hang on a minute, this, this can tell us something about the education process or a set of kids that can help us or help them on their journey, right? Yeah, absolutely. So that's one of the, um, one of the many things that we can provide as a holistic offering mm. to educators and schools. So although GL are the market leader in formative assessments, we also provide different products which track an individual's progress mm. against um, their education and what their, their um, anticipated attainment levels could be. We also provide a homework platform um, so primary school teachers can set homework online and can monitor how their individual students are doing and the progress in relation to their individual homework packages. 
when we get all of that data together into one overall store, we can then start tracking the relationship mm. between how an individual's um, performing with relation to their homework, what their attitude to learning is, and do they have any attendance issues, for example, with things going on outside of school, um, and how one individual can perform in relation to another individual based on their standardised age score. So I suppose that's that's helping you build that whole picture of a student rather than taking an event in isolation. Exactly. And the one of the things that um, I'm keen on looking at in the future once we've got this overall um, liberation of data from all of these different systems for us to work on is very much as you're talking about, you know, what can we do with machine learning? How can we use AI to help refine all of these different models and these statistical models we've got for going forwards? But how do we then also spot anomalies? Mm. What are anomalies in an individual, in a, in a specific individual's learning behavior that might not have been expected? And based on those anomalies, how do we then identify that to teachers and um, individual schools to help them to have more targeted in interventions with individual learning plans to help that individual pupil get the best out of their education that they can? And as, a, as an aside, one of those products, uh, you were talking about a homework uh, uh, products there means that teachers don't have to spend hours and hours and hours marking. Absolutely. We, <laughs> so we, this is this we is great. Automate a whole raft of those different things, and then <laughs> teachers can then just act on the data, the information that gets presented yes. to them, um, and enable them to save time and have make much better informed decisions. Now you've got quite a varied and interesting background, but we were we were chatting before we hit record, and you said in 1994-95 you did an MSc where as part of that, you wrote an assessment and a training course for your sister, who was a teacher at the time. Yeah, that's right. So I was studying my MSc in Newcastle University in, mm. in computing science, and my um, dissertation was in computer-based training. And, and I did that in conjunction with my sister, who was a physics teacher at the time, at, again, a school in the Northeast. And I automated a lot of the um, science curriculum to help um, my sister with her classes in terms of learning some physics principles. And it was an online computer-based training program as well as an assessment program. And that was done, gosh, what was that, 25 years ago now. And I've always held an ongoing interest in how computers can help in the education sector, something that's termed edtech nowadays, because technology doesn't seem to have changed the education sector as mm. much as it has in many other sectors. And I think it was um, Hancock, who was government um, minister a few years ago, said that over the next 10 years, technology is going to transform the education sector as much as it has other aspects of our life. I'm not sure we've seen the realisation of yeah. that yet, but that's something that's always interested me You know, for the last 25 years or so, how we can help to use technology, drive education, make teachers' lives easier, give them more time back, give them more insightful information mm. to hone individual learning plans for pupils so that every pupil can be the best they can be. Now, you joined in February. Yep. Yeah. And you have worked 
all over the, the world and, 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 and the country. Um, I suppose the interesting thing would be, though, look, I'm, I'm native to the Northeast. I didn't know GLSS when we were here. You kind of look at your website and you've got partnerships with the likes of King's College. You would automatically assume because of the London bubble that sucks up so much uh, investment and talent that something like this would exist in London. But here we are sitting just outside Sunderland, right? Uh, absolutely. Our, our HQ, our business HQ is in Brentford, but our development teams, our technology function is based here in the Northeast. But we don't shout and sing about it as much as we should. You know, this is an incredible success story. Mm. This is an incredible set of products that we're producing within our native northeast. But it's one of those unsung songs that people don't really know enough about. We need to raise the profile of it much more. Is that a problem for the whole sector in the region and across the north? Yeah, I think there's a number of different real innovative businesses mm. in and around the Northeast that just don't seem to be getting the same profile as other tech hubs like in and around central London do. We've got a variety of different tech businesses growing in in the Northeast. It's a thriving tech hub. I think one of the studies I read recently said it's the fastest growing digital sector outside of London. Yet we're still, as a region, not singing it and evangelising it as much as we should be. I don't know what the stats are now, but I know Sunderland, Sunderland had a really good reputation for computer studies about at least a decade ago. I'm, I'm not sure what, what its reputation is now, but I imagine it's still pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. So we've got Sunderland University, you've got Software City out of Sunderland University, we've got Newcastle University, we've got Durham University, we've got Northumbria. There's a whole range of different universities driving improvements within but the overall arena. Do you think even those students realised the opportunities that were on their doorstep, or do you think they automatically looked at careers further afield? No, I don't think they do. I think people just aren't aware of all of the different digital businesses we've got in and around the northeast for some reason i still haven't managed to put my finger on i know there's a number of different um northeast um initiatives going on to try and drive and improve the profile such as dynamo such as tech northeast etc trying to raise the profile of the overall industry but it's still not as well known as a tech hub as the businesses, the innovation, the creativity we've got, as much as that warrants. Mm. Now, it's easy for you, because you've got an affinity for the region, to espouse about it, but you, you, you were an ambassador uh, as part of the Passionate People, Passionate Places project a while ago, but you do have some vacancies at the minute. You're trying to grow the technology team here. If you were talking to people who aren't native to the Northeast, who don't know it so well, what, what would you say to them to say, look, think about it as a location. This is a great place to grow your career. The Northeast is an incredible place to live and work. We've got beautiful coastlines. We've got beautiful countryside. We've got high speed links. If indeed you ever need to get to London, you can get to London from Newcastle in two and a half hours. Mm. I've just been working in Manchester. I can get to London quicker than I can get to Manchester. Yeah, It's an incredible region with lots of great access, but lots of great people as well. You know, I've lived and worked all over the country and worked in many places across the globe, but I've always been drawn back to the Northeast because the people here are incredible, the area's incredible, it's just an amazing place to live and work. You've touched on one point there that 
before we wrap up, I would be quite keen to, to get your view on. You said it's quicker to get to, to London than it is to Manchester. Some, there's something slightly <coughs> disingenuous about the whole Northern Powerhouse thing to me. Sure, London is 12 million people and the North East is, a, and sorry, the North generalisation is a, is a smaller pool of people that can possibly get to know each other better. But there's geographical barriers there and the cities across the North each have their cultural identity. What's the best way to make sure that cities like Leeds and Newcastle and Liverpool and Manchester all individually thrive, but also collaborate? Because I think, I think it's wrong just to necessarily say Northern Powerhouse. It's, it's, it's too generic. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And what does Northern Powerhouse absolutely mean? That you, you're covering such a huge area um, of, of across that, that. There is an incredible amount of tech talent in the northwest, in the northeast, but collectively, it's not pulling together, mm. and it, it it's not it's not hitting like the heavyweight it should be compared to other regions. And I think there's probably a plethora of different reasons for that. But if if Leeds, if Manchester, if Newcastle, if Durham, if could all pull together and truly be a northern powerhouse, gosh, we would be an incredibly powerful region an incredibly attractive region for pulling all of this digital content digital people together rather than almost often competing against each other which sometimes it yeah. feels as though we are rather than cooperating and working together it feels as though that there's, there's regional competition going on trying to drag talent around because you know, there is undoubtedly a shortage of tech talent within within the north, within the UK, probably across the globe. But rather than working together to maximise the value that we get from all of that talent, which is not working together as well as we could be. Yeah. Well, look, thank you for your time. Thank you for inviting me in to talk to GL Education and Assessment. It's, it's interesting to hear what is going on in EdTech. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you very much. Um, first point that I, I thought I'd raise was I we, we often think of tech coming in and being quite disruptive in a lot of industries mm -hmm. and for the most part we see the positives uh, that come with that but I think teaching I think companies have got to be really careful when they're approaching education uh, and especially the role of teachers because it is such a difficult job and my mum was a was a teacher um, mm -hmm. So I was really heartened, actually, when he goes into the part where he talks about the fact that his sister was a teacher. And I think it's yeah. really important that if you're going to approach ed tech, you can possibly hear what the grievances of teachers are. Um, yeah, I mean... Because it is not an easy profession. About, it would have been about 10 years or so ago when I first came into contact with one of, uh, one of my friend's mums who was a teacher at the time. And this really opened my eyes to the broader sphere of education and that, she had a dartboard with this fella's face on it and he's sort of this sort of podgy chubby posh face with glasses and that was how a whole generation uh, was brought up to hate michael, michael gove. gove my mom exactly loathed him. yeah loathe the gove right <laughs> but i mean that to me was was the first eye-opener that, that us as a country are really lagging behind and not supporting education enough and you know we we see tech augment education but as as ian says you know Education is meant to be there with tech now. It's, you know, tech's meant to have caught up with it and is meant to be totally complementing it. And, you know, we're seeing it slip in and, and sort of feed into education. But, you know, GL obviously doing a really good job. And um, 
I think it's a great thing. You know, they are doing the job that a school should be doing anyway. But obviously yeah, no I, one has time or resource. You know, the education sector is so burdened. I think the thing that really struck me about this, and we've had, we've had Satchel show my homework on, on before, yes. and I think and we, we think their product's great. But I love that this is the whole people view. I love that this is yeah. assessment and homework and ongoing progression. monitoring and progression. Exactly, yeah. because I often felt with, with you know, you, you get your sats at school and it may well have changed since I was there. Okay. To mm-hmm. a certain degree, but you would get assessed at what year nine and that yep. would kind of set the precedent for the next three years of your education. And but almost more than that, Dave, if you go, if you go from set nine, uh, year nine into set one maths into year 10 and 11, because you fluke an exam, you're then in the top set maths. And that also, when I was at school, meant you'd have to take maths in the summer, whereas some people got to take it in, in these, these tiny well, no, that, tests. That, I mean, look, if you have put a massive knock-on effect. If you put into the top set, that can, that, can, that can drag you up. Great. What happens if you get yeah, put yeah. the wrong set? Well, exactly. And, and the bottom exactly. set, and, and then it's not reassessed. And you do progress. And because. Kids, let's yeah. face it, kids, kids mature and develop at different rates. The one, the one yeah. problem I've yeah. always had with the grammar school system, and my mum, again, was a prime example of this, um, the 11 plus. You go to secondary mm. modern versus grammar school, and basically your life is determined for you. What what is to say that all kids are at the same stage of development, aged eleven years old? It's ridiculous. So it's crazy. If technology can help um, provide more transparency and mm. a better understanding of what's going on with each individual pupil through that process over a course of time, surely, surely that is a good thing. Well, it's, 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 it's being able to collate real-time data that actually shows you how a student, is, their attitudes and how they're progressing and, and what they need to improve on and what they need, what they're doing well in. And I think, you know, in an ideal world, you would have a teacher would have the time and resource to be able to do that themselves. The, the, the reality is they don't and they never will in, in our current climate. But, you know, this is a perfect example of tech coming in to totally complement uh, uh, um, a sector or an organisation, if you will, um, to, to, to enable everybody to, to perform better. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I also think that, to, the, to your point there about teachers being very busy, if mm. you work in a very large school, you might have several thousand pupils, and it would be lovely to think that teachers have the time to sit down uh, and discuss um, pupils and how they're performing mm. in different classes with their colleagues in different subjects. But I think that's probably slightly fanciful, especially with the amount of paperwork that teachers have to do, right? Um, Absolutely. Now, it, let, we all have teachers that we favoured at school. We all had teachers that we responded to better. And it might be that some teachers think that you're a little shit and some teachers think <laughs> that you're, uh, you know, but, butter wouldn't melt type thing. And actually, yeah. if you've got, because I, I like that they, 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 they talked about the attitude to learning, because it might be that for whatever reason, you don't respond well in a certain class environment, but you do in others. And if they can try and even that out a little bit and kind of help teachers get a better understanding of, of how a pupil does across the whole education system, rather, again, it's that isolated piece. It's, it's taking isolated events out and, and beginning to kind of build a bigger narrative that I can only yeah. think would help students. Which feeds into my kind of idea that, I mean, I, I, I mean, Rosie differ on this a lot. Rosie is an amazing exam sitter. Every exam she sits, she smashed it out of the park. I wasn't particularly good at exams. I, I relied heavily on my coursework. And I think what GL were doing in an assessment in the UK is that, you know, if you do balls up an exam, 
hopefully then you know you get a fairer outcome because you can see that okay well jack's been progressing well on pythagoras's theorem or well he just didn't get that one question in the exam whatever we I mean, don't know if tech goes that deep but it's 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 here to help people which is which which the education sector desperately needs and i, yeah. I don't mean that in a condescending way at all. And look, the, the one other thing that I, I i love the idea of it's it's not just about the people he talked about let's have a look at how mm. the class is performing or the school yeah and let's not forget some schools are blessed with being in an area where the kids are generally from and not to generalize but the kids are generally from maybe slightly wealthier backgrounds maybe slightly better educated yeah. parents and the one thing my mom and dad actually sent me to the worst school of the two that they had the options with in, in i can believe that in my town <laughs> thank you um, <laughs> there were a couple of reasons my dad was the vicar and he felt it was important to um send me to kind of the the, the local school um, but so wait, hang on. Your dad, your dad took on that sort of celebrity status, being the vicar, being like, I don't want him getting special treatment. He's going to the, he's going to the other school. So <laughs> that, the North really support. does operate differently. The North operates a lot differently. No, so there, there, the there, were two, there were two schools, and one had an element of selection, and one didn't. Right, yeah. right. Okay, fair enough. But when my mom and dad looked at the results, and my mom took a real keen interest being a teacher, at the results mm. that the two school, two schools, uh, were, were, were were getting at the time, they were remarkably similar. And so my mom kind of went, well, hang on a minute. If one school's selective and one school isn't, so one school yeah. is getting everybody else, but they're getting the same results at GCSE, same pass rate, what the hell? Or, you know, the teachers at the school that are getting anything and everything are obviously yeah. doing a brilliant job yeah. to bring those kids up to a certain level. And I think that's something that's sometimes overlooked. And maybe yep. that's where GL education can, can help to a certain degree with that. Let's actually have a look at holistically how how schools and classes are performing with the kids that they're getting let's not just yep. go this school has outstanding from Ofsted let's go you know what a school that gets that gets um needs improvement in certain areas might be doing an outstanding job with the kids that they're getting yep and I sometimes yep. think I'm that we just look at it from from far too far too simplistic a, a point of view when, when you know when you go on kind of right move and you're thinking about which areas should we look at oh it's outstanding it must be good well is it is, is, is it actually <laughs> doing an amazing job with those kids Ofsted again is like sitting in an exam. You could you could be a teacher and you could have your Ofsted examination in your year nine French class or whatever. One kid could be in a shitty little mood that day and ruin the whole class for everyone. And there you go. Mm. It's it, we need to move away from this. You know one moment grading almost and I need to look at it from a more holistic and, and longevity point of view um, I mean yeah some of the schools around there I was crippled by uh, Ofsted and they were actually better schools than my school you know I sat next to a murderer in my class and this <laughs> Ofsted and no I'm not even lying and the I Ofsted report the, no, the Ofsted report for the school was always good you know mm -hmm. it, it these things aren't wholly reflective, um, just like exam papers are as well. And, you know, if someone like GL is going to come in and really compliment and supplement children and teachers throughout the whole, you know, life cycle of education, we're on board. Last point. I, I, I've, I've said this so many times and I was so pleased when he unprompted said, I can get to London quicker than I can get to Manchester. It's crazy. That is, Dave. That is it crazy. It just blows a hole in this idea of Northern powerhouse. I, I get yep. Yet culturally, there's some ties between the two, but it is so silly to just imagine that they're not. Oh, they're all up in the north; they can all work together. The, the, Ian's the point is the country and the infrastructure doesn't necessarily lend itself to that. We can't. I know that it's because hey, we can't have this focus on London all the time, but it's not. 
yeah. it's, it's not going to fix problems by just going, oh, it's the North, stick a, stick a big sticker on and, and let's treat them all the same. But Ian's right, though. Like the North East is not pulling together enough. The talent is up there. You've got fantastic universities. Some of the world's best talent, you know, emigrate to these cities in the North. And I, I agree with him in, the, in that he says that they need to work together. But when you've got, uh, if you zoom back out another strand and you look at the talent issues and you look at the pull that London has, maybe it's not a fact that they need to pull together, but they need to recommend each other as much mm. as pull together you know okay you've got a you've got a really good dev hub in in, in north shields maybe that's the best place you, for you to go from leeds manchester um wherever you are from you know maybe it's not about trying to get individual you know identities and cities but maybe it is sort of merging closer together as one but it's hard to do that you know you think how hard it is to do that across the boroughs of london you know leeds leeds manchester and liverpool aren't too far away from each other they're three hugely different cities so it's i think this is an almost impossible task but if everyone gets more collegiate then hopefully and, and you know the infrastructure's there you know high speed two ever fucking gets in and on the way then okay, maybe like maybe 30 years 30 years in the future <laughs> right but, but I I think... mean, yeah. I, I think we should go to our break. Uh, yeah. I get your point. Um, you get it. I get it. Um, before we do, take a good listen to this. On Sunday, myself, Jack, and seven other friends and colleagues are running the Hackney Half Marathon on behalf of Alive and Kicking. Listen to the message in this. In the show notes, there will be a donation link. Please, if you could support us, five pounds or 10 pounds even, that would be amazing. We are raising money for a brilliant charity. Listen to this message. Tech Talks are partnering with Alive and Kicking, a charity that set up businesses that manufacture beautiful sports balls across sub-Saharan Africa. Using profits from ball sales and additional fundraising from events like the Hackney Half Marathon, they're able to train sports coaches to deliver vital health education. We're about to hear from Naomi, a coach in Zambia, who's been trained to deliver mental health education to her community. Hello there, this is Coach Naomi from Zambia. I would love to say about Alive and Kicking training, which has helped me to teach my players about like mental health. It has really built my knowledge and they have passed through to my young players in, in the community. I also work with Special Olympics where we deal with children with disability, mentally and physically. I hope and trust that the Alive and Kicking will continue teaching coaches in various parts of the world, not just in Zambia. Thank you very much, Alive and Kicking. Welcome back to the show. Okay, a um, couple of news articles. Who wants to go first? Yeah. I've got a nice little... I'm not going to get too deep into it, Dave, because cool. you know I don't deal in facts. Okay. Um, and it's from uh, The Opened Mind. Okay. The Open Mind. Um, and this article states, transparent solar panels will turn windows into green energy collectors. Okay. Researchers from Michigan State University developed a completely transparent solar panel, which can have numerous applications in architecture and other fields like mobile electronics or the automotive industry. Researchers have tried, have tried to create such a device before as well, but the final results were never satisfying. So here we are, Dave. I can see the picture in front of me, and it is a window, and it does harness the power of the sun and feed it back into your 
into your building and your and your local grid. Now, I've I've come from an energy efficiency background. I worked within the sector. Um, would have been about six years ago now. So before I even knew Dave. So imagine how bright-eyed and bushy-tailed I was back then. Um, but I saw that the again, sorry to harp on about the government, but the government ruined the Green Deal, and a lot of energy efficiency installation companies went out of business, like mine did, because there was no funding to go ahead and install these measures. Now, if you're telling me that in the next five years our windows can be as effective as PV, um, solar PV, it's fucking amazing, and that is super exciting. I just don't I need agree. the government to balls it up this time. I don't, I don't think I'm going to add a huge amount more other than uh, no. with, a, with a lot of these technologies and adoption, it, it's going to cost, it's going to come down to cost, right? And yes. how expensive it is to, to have these um, put in. And if it's, if it's really expensive, then no one's going to do it. And I suppose it's, it's it yeah. attractive to consumers. Yeah. And also the, the thing with solar PV is you almost have to have a south facing roof. Now, with the windows, you guarantee there'll be at least one window in your house that's facing towards the south-ish. So it's actually fairer for people to, to have this on their property. But yeah, government, if this comes over to the UK soon from Michigan, then we need to make sure that everyone is entitled to part funding or you know, getting this installed because it will be huge for the renewable energy scene. My article is from The Guardian. Um, it's all about your favourite, not your favourite, Jeff Bezos. Ah, oh, Bezos. So I like this because it's a little bit topical. Uh, there's a picture of Jeff, Jeff Bezos standing in front of um, a lunar module. Modular? Module? Right, yeah. Lunar thing. Uh, uh, <laughs> and it's called Blue Moon. The, modu- mod- oh. the, the, land- the lander is called Blue Moon, which I thought quite topical yesterday with what happened in the football. Um, I was going to say, yeah. Blue Moon <laughs> Rising and all that. No, but yeah. he's, he's, got, um, an aeros- he's got a new aerospace company called Blue Origin. He is planning to keep- take people uh, to the moon by 2024. Oh, so now we, now we have SpaceX's space rival. Yeah, space now we race. have the, the, oh God, the big tech space race. I don't know if oh, that's good or bad because it's probably not bad. good, right? Yeah, exactly. I can't see how. Yeah, they're gonna, they're competing to see who can get us to the moon first, so that who can charge us less money out of the overall deal. Yeah, I mean, exactly. it's, it's not, exciting. It's not, it's not NASA doing things for the no. benefit of of. I've always Beating felt Russia. that you know, you, maybe maybe this is because it's American cinema, and you're just like, yeah, they're gonna make it seem like the best of all possible worlds but in films like Apollo 13 and The Martian you get this sense that NASA is this very altruistic uh, collection of wonderful people who just want to do the right thing and I can't yep. imagine that SpaceX and Blue Origin are necessarily I mean they'll have fantastic people working for them sure <laughs> but ultimately there's a shareholder involved profit yeah ultimately they're doing it for profit whereas Which, NASA were doing it for research to me yeah, suggests no. maybe they'll take some short would I want to get in one of those and go into space no, if it was like the, all right you could get one built by nasa or one by big tech i'd be like nasa no, definitely the, NASA. we're focusing on um, and rightly so we're focusing on the big tech side of this but let's just look at this as the human curiosity foray into space exploration yeah if we look at it purely uh, from that point of view this is incredible you know all right we might have to save up 200 grand to get a 15 minute round trip in space but it's the first step, right? Uh, and it, I told you recently, didn't I? There's that clip of um, 
someone interviewing Elon Musk and they said, look, um, Neil Armstrong disagrees with what you're doing. Um, he disagrees the fact that you're making it commercially available for people to buy space. And Elon Musk cries in this interview, which, you know, I didn't think he was capable of, let alone doing it in an interview on TV. But he was so visibly upset at the fact that one of his heroes was against this sort of passion project of his. So I kind of wanted him to do it just to put another finger up at the baby boomers, even though that baby boomer is one of the coolest living beings there ever was. I mean, I, I kind of think like we've been to the moon, but I suppose it was so long ago and actually for it to be commercial would be wholly step. We, we haven't been to the moon. They, like six people have been to the moon, right? That's, that's one we, should, of the most... we should be shooting for Mars. We should be shooting for Mars. We should. Um, but, you know, the moon's closer for now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what I also think is really interesting is it's only it was only a couple of months ago in March that Mike Pence uh, called on NASA to build a space platform in lunar orbit. Uh, so it's like, hang on, a big tech now competing with big government. It's interesting. Uh, Very. Yeah, anyway, uh, I just thought that was interesting. Um, yeah. I suppose that people will be terribly disappointed that we're going, but I, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure how I feel about Bezos sending people to the moon. Yeah, as long as he doesn't send any dick pics up there, I'm sure we'll be safe. <laughs> right. Um, I think that should bring us to the end of today's show. On Thursday, we have a treat. We have the recording of our live show that was last Thursday um, uh, f- from White City uh, Place. And it is our 200th show. So that's woo exciting. Woo. Uh, yeah. But until then, Jack, enjoy the sunshine. Have a lovely week. And I, I will talk to you soon. 